Looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where you get the African perspective. It's 11 o'clock Central African time. Once again, you're with me, Benjamin Mushata. I'm right here on African Dialogue, where we have big debates about what's happening on the African continent. Well, remember, you can interact with us on our various uh, uh, platforms on uh, uh social media we know that's the best way of communicating especially if we're all from different parts of the continent so uh, do get uh, involved in our social media go to our twitter handle at channel africa one that's at channel africa one and uh, you can also uh, give us your thoughts uh, by uh, whatsapping us uh, we're asking this question we're looking at how south africa zimbabwe angola attempting to combat corruption we know it's the new approach of the three leaders there we know south African Cyril Ramaphosa's vow to fully support the state capture inquiry, uh, which will seek to unravel allegations of state capture in the country. And meanwhile, Zimbabwe's Emerson Nangagwa hit the ground running after former President Robert Mugabe was ousted in what some call a coup. Zimbabwe has since unearthed a lot of dubious transactions, which include former First Lady Grace Mugabe, where in some cases she's being accused of the illegal trade of elephant tusks and diamond smiles. We also saw a report yesterday uh, where there were uh, actually uh, there's going to be a process of uh, the former president of uh, Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, going to actually sit in parliament to look at uh, uh, real accusations around the Marange mining uh, issues. In Angola, the new president, Jao Lorenzo, is uh, hard at clamping down corrupt activities happening there. There are also allegations currently under investigation of the former president's son a plan to siphon off 1.5 billion dollars when he ran the oil rich country's sovereign uh, wealth fund now that's all interesting so we're going to be looking at all these issues so give us your thoughts as we're looking at these trends are these positive signs for all these countries and why is this a positive sign or do you think it's also a bit of uh, campaigning for two of these particular members especially looking at south africa the fact that the elections are going to be uh, next year. Zimbabwe also is going to have recent elections. So what are your thoughts? Tweet us your thoughts on at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. That's at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. Or you can WhatsApp us. Uh, listen to our number. It's plus 27763003327. Plus 27763003327. If you're in South Africa, it's simply 076300332. Well, let's get into the discussion. We've got great guests on the line to look at this uh, very interesting trend story. Elias Isaac is joining us. He's the country director of the Open Society Initiative, Southern Africa, Angola. Uh, we also have on the line Diwa Mavinga joining us once again from Human Rights Watch. Uh, he is the Southern African director. And Chris Vendome is a research analyst for the Africa program at Chatham House. Interesting times 
Let me start with you, Elias. In uh, SADC, seeing what's happening recently, I know that uh, as uh, the Open uh, Society Initiative, issues of uh, corruption, issues of ensuring that there's transparency, effectiveness in uh, governance are very central to the type of work that you do. What are your thoughts of what's happening, especially in your country, Angola? Very interesting times. Absolutely. Um, Angola is living, um, let me say, a new era after 38 years of governance of former President Santos. Uh, but uh, one big question that most, most of Angolans have is that, you know, going after people who have stolen money, some, some people who have stolen money, is that the right strategy to address corruption? Uh, you know, it's a good sign, it's a good, it's a good beginning, but it's not good enough. Because corruption has been established in Angola for the last uh, 42 years, you know, since mm. our, our independence, you know, it's a systemic is how governance function in Angola. Uh, so unless the unless the new president uh, also deals with the systemic issue with the institutions uh, in the country that facilitates all this uh, all this you know malpractice you know in governance um, is not good enough because he just he, he has just gone after a few people only. One or two people, you know, uh, the, the, the son and the daughter of the president, few other people. But corruption has, you know, has entrenched into the system, into governance. And most of the mm-hmm. people who took higher positions in government are tainted with corruption. So we want to see how far, how far can he go without really addressing, you know, the systemic issues. Uh, of governance that he has inherited. Sure, sure. With that said, Elias, do you think it's a good start, especially looking at uh, uh, what's happened so far in your country, um, when you look at uh, the allegations around the former president's son, uh, the siphoning of that 1.5 billion rands, which is uh, really linked to the uh, country's wealth fund. Those are big amounts of money. I know also the daughter was also removed from a very strategic position in the country, the, the daughter of the uh, former president. Uh, what, what are your thoughts around the first moves of the approach of President Jao Lorenzo? You know, uh, there's a big question, you know, is the new president, Jao Lorenzo, just going after uh, former president Santos family, or is he really moving towards, you know, at the, dealing with corrupt officials who have enriched themselves Illegally or the public asset for their personal benefit. So far, what we have seen is that uh, uh, he's dealing with uh, the son and the daughter in Sonangol and so on and so on. But, you know, there are a number of people out there, you know, who have served in this government, who have benefited, who have stolen money, and they have information about it. So, what we really want to see is that uh, this should not be just a witch hunting, you know, uh, yeah, sure, move, sure. Like, uh, witch hunt move, you know, against the, the former president's family, 
but it's really addressing corruption in everyone. Everyone who has put his hands or her hands into the public assets, you know, illegally, that those people should be should be prosecuted, should be investigated. But well, one sure. other thing is Okay, go ahead, give me your final sentence. That, yeah, one other thing that we should understand is that, you know, despite the fact, you know, these are no longer just mere information. These are facts. You know, these are facts. You know, these people are still treated as accused people. They have not been taken to court. They have not been tried. They have not been jailed. Because what we have been used, you know, for the last 32 years of the ruling party, uh, you know, governance is that, you know, uh, political opponents, you know, human rights activists, when they try to demonstrate, they are arrested and then investigation is done, then tried. But in the case of these people involved in corruption, is stealing public assets. The facts are there. They are still free. They are just defined as accused, but no trial, no judgment, nothing at all. So this is the big mm. question, you know, mm. that a lot of Angolans have, you know, how serious is he? Is he, is he just after, you know, recovering sure, sure. the assets? Or is he go, is willing to go further punishing people who have really done those those, you know, illegal practices who have really impoverished the state? Well, Ellis, let me bring in our other guest, Diwa Mavinga, is also on the line there. I mean, a lot of things are also happening in Zimbabwe, Diwa. Uh, we've seen a lot of developments uh, that have been led by uh, this interim uh, uh, government currently of Emerson Nangagwa. I uh, know that there's been a lot of talks around transactions, including the First Lady Grace Mugabe and also um, President, former President Robert Mugabe's uh, involvement in uh, the Marange mines. Very interesting times as well for Zimbabwe indeed. Absolutely, uh, Benjamin. Uh, Zimbabwe is um, uh, going through interesting times, but I think characterized by uh, Emerson Mnangagwa, who took power in November last year following a military coup, uh, trying to assert himself. And in a way, the strong perception out there is that it is really not an anti-corruption drive that is uh, genuine and sincere, but uh, more of a, a witch hunt or vengeance within, you know, the ZANU-PF, uh, ruling ZANU-PF party structures, where the dominant uh, faction that then took power with military backing is now seeking to um, uh, completely vanquish uh, the other faction, which was known as the G40 faction, aligned to former President Robert Mugabe. So what we have seen so far has not been uh, the use of uh, state institutions responsible for justice or anti-corruption to process and to deal with these uh, corruption issues in a matter of, uh, uh, relevant to due process of law, but more of um, uh, smear campaigns uh, in the public media, in the state media, about alleged uh, deals or corrupt deals involving uh, Mugabe or his wife Grace, who has allegedly been uh, linked to I- illegal ivory trade. But um, we have repeatedly said that uh, if Mnangagwa wants to 
uh, have a clean record of uh, anti-corruption, uh, then he needs to use state institutions uh, to let them do their job uh, professionally and subject uh, whoever is accused of corruption uh, to the due process of law and not to sort of resort to smear campaigns in the papers. Uh, we also know that you know, uh, for Mnangagwa, his main focus is to get uh, the economy going again. And his mantra and uh, his cabinet minister is that uh, Zimbabwe is open for business. But it is um, uh, a focus that he has ignored uh, issues to do with political stability and to do with you know, an implementation of um, a roadmap towards democratic elections. Uh, the military has become entrenched and heavily involved in Zimbabwe's civilian uh, and political affairs. And it would be very difficult to uh, see how to, or to get the military away from electoral affairs when elections are due by August this year. But this is the biggest risk uh, to free and fair elections, that we have a highly partisan and politicized military that took, that took power last sure. year by force and... Um, is unlikely to then hand over power to a democratic um, uh, political party. So it's a strong push, and the international sure. community has really pushed to say uh, Zimbabwe, uh, the benchmark for Zimbabwe to move forward is to deliver yeah, credible yeah. free and fair elections by August this year. Well, let's, let me stay with you, because you're also seeing the same trends in South Africa, especially also after the removal of um, President Jacob Zuma in South Africa, Dewa, and we've seen the same approach from South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, looking at issues of state-capturing inquiry, trying to clean up the, the state per status. It's been also uh, kind of uh, similar to what's been happening in Zimbabwe, not the same uh, environment indeed, but definitely seeing the same trends in uh, these two countries, especially because of the way these two uh, leaders took over. Yes, Benjamin, absolutely correct. South Africa is also going through uh, that kind of phase. Uh, Where questions have been raised about issues of uh, justice and accountability, especially around uh, uh, former President Jacob Zuma, who now has uh, appeared in court and is facing um, charges of um, uh, uh, corruption, uh, uh, fraud, and abuse of office. So this is, um, uh, and there are concerns uh, perhaps amongst uh, Zuma supporters that perhaps what is happening is a witch hunt. But a key difference between what is happening in South Africa and what is obtaining in Zimbabwe is that in South Africa there is... um, uh, you know, a pursuit of a due process of law where, you know, the, the, the National Prosecuting Authority has made a decision to prosecute uh, former President Zuma and also now the courts are now seized with the matter. Uh, we wait to see whether or not this uh, uh, may be just, uh, you know, uh, an um, uh, elections uh, uh, a gimmick to try and get uh, support or to see how far uh, President Ramaphosa is willing to go uh, to uh, clean out uh, uh, corruption in his administration. And you must also be aware that when President Zuma was removed from office, uh, uh, Benjamin, uh, some of his key allies and supporters uh, remained and became part of uh, Ramaphosa's administration. So it is uh, not a clean slate that Ramaphosa has. He still has to deal with um, 
some of the strongest supporters within uh, very senior positions um, in in the government. Uh, so the the struggle against corruption is is far from over, and one hopes that it would remain. Uh, sure. not mm-hmm. Let me bring in our other guest who's been uh, listening to the conversation so far as it's been unfolding. Chris Van Dome, research analyst uh, from the Africa program at Chatham House. Chris, both uh, uh, our guest Diwa and also our other guest Elias really questioning the intentionality around these uh, uh, corruption uh, uh, focuses in these various countries what's your what are your thoughts chris hi yeah thanks benjamin um i'm just going to kind of bring together a a number of points that are raised by elias and by dua and that here we've got in the region three presidents who are new into the office and for each of them their newfound kind of political legitimacy seems to be built around turning around to the economy. These are three economies that have been struggling recently. Um, South Africa, we've seen two recessions in the past 10 years. People are feeling that pinch. Uh, there's an acute liquidity shortage sure. um, in Angola and Zimbabwe. So this is a, these are countries where people are feeling that, that. And a lot of this has been put on to the cost of corruption. So these three new presidents are trying to turn around their economy. And tackling corruption is one way of kind of demonstrating to people that there is action. Um, And then I think that they've got three audiences. So there's an international community of investors that they're trying to demonstrate to that, yes, we're we're moving on these issues. There's a domestic electorate that they're trying to demonstrate, you know, this is a clean break from the past, whereas there may have been a past regime um, tainted by these issues of corruption. We, the new presidents, are going to move against that. And then there's the party issue as well, and a party audience um, which is uh, kind of what uh, both Elias and Dua have been talking about is kind of a new element of each of these parties taking over. Uh, I think there's a, an interesting kind of parallel in what's going on there in that these are three national liberation movements of sure, government. Sure, that's for interesting. Whom there's been that assumption of governance. So the, a lot of what's been able to take place in the past has taken place because within these parties, there's an assumption that you know we will win the next election. We are in government. Mm, I, I like that fact that you're highlighting the fact that all of these three countries are also have that liberation struggle history. What does that actually say in terms of uh, uh, the historical trends that we've seen within these three uh, different uh, liberation movements in these different countries? There's also trends there, aren't, we, aren't there, Chris? Yeah, it's, it, I think that, that, that national liberation movement uh, mentality around the assumption of governance and there being the guardian of the state means that there are issues and can, beyond this kind of economic cost of corruption that the focus seems to be on. And, you know, we talk about Mugabe and the lost 15 billion and, and these issues and people want to know kind of in monetary terms about corruption. Um, but there's a broader element, which is this kind of divide between political parties and the state. And where that line gets blurred, mm, mm. that's where you see corruption creeping in. And that's also where, kind of moving forward, I think we'd want to see more, you know, at the moment, the way in which this corruption seems to be being tackled is through, yes, uh, new courts, as in the case in Zimbabwe, looking at this. 
yes, there's new um, competent uh, appointments, and it's what we've seen in both Zimbabwe and in South Africa uh, in cabinet reshuffles, demonstrating to a domestic electorate and to the international community that we can put in competent people into these roles and that can tackle corruption. But moving forward, it's exactly this point that Elias raised at the beginning around institutions and building mm-hmm. the capacity of these state institutions. And it's about education, but also developing those monitoring and evaluation processes within state departments. It's about uh, internal accountability. Are people being uh, held accountable? And that's something that comes from leadership. It's a, it's a top-down thing that is, you know, if you've got people in positions, um, if, they are, if they feel that those above them are interested and uh, in what they're doing and that there's a kind of direct line right from the top all the way down over are people performing and, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a clean manner, that's something that's incredibly important. Um, and then sure. beyond that, there's mm-hmm. something that we've seen in South Africa, which is kind of not just uh, political parties or um, the state, it's the other pillars of these kind of relatively young democracies, and, and that's the media. And I think the media's played a huge role in South Africa sure, sure. in bringing these issues to the, to the forefront of the public debate. And now as things go on, it's, you know, these, these elements of the media that have been bolstered in terms of numbers and capacity to look at corruption, you know, it's about making sure that that continues. And this isn't just a short-termist um, thing of looking at the, the you know, the end days of the Zuma uh, administration and issues around um, the public protective reports, etc. But that this, um, these kind of recently uh, empowered uh, elements of the media remain and that, sure, that sure. this is a debate that continues. Well, that's the voice of Chris Vendome, who is the research analyst from Tatham House from the Africa program, joining us uh, once again here for a discussion with uh, uh, Adiwa Mavinga, who is also on the line, the Southern Africa Director from Human Rights Watch. We also have uh, uh, Elias Isaac, who is joining us uh, from Angola, and uh, he is uh, joining us there from the Open Society Initiative Southern Africa in Angola. Can these uh, uh, three governments so leaders from these liberation movements and parties actually shake off this corrupt uh, uh, mud that is actually behind their tracks. Is it possible for them with these attempts? Because there are questions as we've established uh, as we began this uh, conversation on their intentions and the focus on uh, uh, politicizing the issue of corruption. Elias Isaac starting the conversation on the tone of the fact that uh, uh, why are we politicizing corruption when it's so entrenched in uh, uh, the institutions of uh, these countries? We'll continue this conversation after this. Attention, Attention to our listeners. listeners. On Saturday, the 14th of April, 2018, 2018, Channel Africa will be broadcasting live from the funeral service for the late South African struggle icon, Mama Winnie Matikizela Mandela. Tune in to Channel Africa on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. Channel Africa, remembering Mama Winnie from an African perspective.
good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. There's no doubt that this is Channel Africa where we give you the African perspective. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, on the shortwave service into sub-Saharan Africa on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. If you're listening to us on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet, our Pan-African family can join us from outside the continent, even within the continent, on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at a trend story these three interesting countries that seem to be aligning themselves with uh, what they philosophically are terming a new age of their political experience in these countries. In terms of dealing with corruption, that's South Africa, Zimbabwe, Angola. We know Cyril Ramaphosa is really making sure that he wants to be seen as this man who's uh, looking at issues of state capture, looking at issues of what's happening in uh, state institutions. Institutions. Also, we know that Zimbabwe's uh, Emerson Nangagwa has been very much hitting hard and hitting the ground hard on issues of corruption, really also focusing his attention on the Robert Mugabe uh, family. Uh, Jao Lorenzo is also uh, not one who has done little. He's done a whole lot in terms of dealing with this clampdown on corruption in Angola. But moving things forward, let me come back to you, Elias. Do you think the likes of Jao Lorenzo, the likes of Cyril Ramaphosa, the likes of uh, um, Nangagwa, they have all been associated with uh, these uh, figures before them? Uh, actually, they were closely aligned to them, Elias. Can they shake off that uh, history uh, of corruption uh, that is mudding uh, their reputation? Uh, absolutely not. I, I, I don't have any belief at all that whether the ruling party MPLA in Angola, you know, the ZANU-PF in Zimbabwe or ANC in South Africa, they have the moral authority and ethical values really to shake up the issue of corruption in these countries. These are the same very movements, political parties, that have entrenched corruption in the system of governance. And I don't believe that, you know, they are able really to dismantle. Because if, if the ruling party in Angola deals with corruption, it's ready to dismantle the whole system and they have to get out. What's what's the, what's the real hampering process of actually reversing the system? Is it because there's so many political... Um, members who are involved in, in this corruption. It's not only the leaders themselves, but also it's entrenched uh, to um, the lower echelons of uh, the political Absolutely. elites? Absolutely. You know, the corruption has been entrenched from the top up to the lower level. In Angola, we have the two extremes of corruption. The grand corruption that, you know, the current president is trying to deal with, 
you know, trying to recover these assets and growing this big money. Then you have the petty corruption that really kills the poor citizens. You know, in Angola we have a, we have a, we have a situation that all the public services have been privatized by public servants, and poor citizens have to pay for everything. So I don't believe, uh, you know, I don't believe that you know the the current political parties uh, in Angola, in in South Africa, or in Zimbabwe, they have the moral authority really to deal with corruption and to resolve the problem of corruption. Because each one of them, along the 42 years in power in Angola, all these political elites that have enriched themselves in one way or another, they have enriched themselves in one way or another. Mm, mm. The only thing that is going to change, the only thing that is going to change, or to, to make things move towards the fight, against corruption is when our political systems are, are stable, you know, are, mm. let me say, are balanced. Mm. Not when NC or ZANU-PF or MPLA, they have absolute majority in parliament, they control everything. Because we have, as you have said, you know, these are part structures that, you know, as, as uh, our colleague from the Chatham House has said, you know, it's very difficult to define the line between the party and the state. Yeah, you know. Let me the bring it. The only thing that sure. is going to change, the only thing, the only thing that is going to help change the situation, is when the current parties who are ruling they become opposition, and then I believe things are going to change. As long as they continue mm. in power, no, then things are not going to change. Chris, are you as uh, pessimistic as Elias? There, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. A, well, let, let, Chris, Chris, so... I'm trying to be realistic. Okay, are you as... Let me say, let me rephrase it then. Chris, are you as realistic as Elias is? <laughs> um, I think that Elias raises yeah, a very valid point that the, these parties have become uh, so associated with uh, corruption in the past that it's incredibly difficult for them to shake that image off. Um, I think that where there is a room for optimism here is that there ha- we have three new presidents who are trying to make a break from the past, and it's now incredibly important for uh, the electorates and societies to keep the pressure on. So where these presidents are making promises on corruption, to truly hold them accountable to that and to make sure that this isn't just a brief window that is tiding these party leaders over to the next election, you know, specifically in South Africa and Zimbabwe, where you know, Zimbabwe is going to have an election um, in the next few months, and South Africa obviously will have its election next year. Uh, and it's about making sure that these issues stay on the political radar after those elections, and they're not just short-term campaign um tools but that actually there is kind of continued cross societal mm-hmm. discussion around these issues and it's particularly on that issue that Elias raises around petty corruption because the grand corruption is something that can be dealt with with you know there's some low hanging fruit there that can uh, make big signs very quickly to show to people yes we're doing something things like a cabinet reshuffle but it's that petty corruption and the way in which people's 
um, relationship with the with state institutions on a daily basis is making sure that those are also being seen to change so that people can see in their daily lives that actually something is changing and progressing. Let me bring in uh, Diwa. Diwa, okay, come come through, Elias. Just quickly, quickly, so I can go to Diwa. Just very quickly, just to, to I just want to question: How new are these new presidents? You know, in government, they are not new. It's just mm -hmm. a function, mm -hmm. but they have been in the system. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good point. I think in the case of. Um, uh, both, uh, well, in case of all three, that the new presidents, yes, have been incredibly close to their predecessors, uh, but because of that and because of the perceptions amongst the electorate are, uh, they have towards their predecessors, mm -hmm. that's why these people who, yes, they've been part of the system for a very long time, but they might, you know, they they have to do more to demonstrate that there is a clean break. Sure. And it's a kind of, it's a PR thing of showing that, that there is a clean break from the past when a lot of the time, as you say, there isn't, which actually could open up for them to make, have to be making promises that they may not necessarily like as a way of um, demonstrating that they are a clean break. Sure. Let me past. bring Diwa in. He's been patiently waiting. Diwa, your thoughts? Well, um, uh, yes, uh, I, I largely agree that um, uh, there are significant challenges. And one of the things that I have identified, particularly with Zimbabwe, is that uh, of extremely weak uh, institutions responsible for the anti-corruption drive. Um, they are weak by design because the state uh, wishes them to be so, uh, to give this facade of uh, a fight against corruption, which in fact uh, is not real because... Uh, up to going to the very top in terms of the leadership, uh, the people are implicated uh, in uh, the massive uh, corruption and therefore it would almost be impossible for them to prosecute uh, themselves. So the only thing that is left then is some kind of lip service to the idea of fighting corruption, which is uh, a useful decoy because it is also meant to hoodwink the international community. Uh, but in fact we have uh, pretend anti-corruption institutions uh, which are only there to uh, give a semblance mm -hmm. of something happening when in fact uh, uh, the, the, the fight is going nowhere. Uh, when um, Nangako took power on the back of a military coup in November, a number of ministers aligned to uh, former President Mugabe were arrested mm. uh, and uh, arraigned before the courts, uh, some of them tortured uh, beaten up severely, blindfolded for, for, for several days. Uh, but the cases all fizzled out. It was a huge halabaloo in the media. Mm -hmm. But uh, within a few weeks, uh, this case that died a natural death, no single uh, successful prosecution or conviction. And so that's, that's the cycle that, you know, it's only the small fish who get uh, fried while the big fish are remain in charge. Well, let me take a quick one and then I'll get your final sentiments before our break. Very heated conversation that we're having. Very strong views are coming from uh, uh, Elias uh, Isaac. He keeps asserting the fact that uh, the political elite themselves are very problematic and things will only change if we see a change of governance. Probably seeing these liberation parties actually being in the role of opposition parties. That's maybe where they'll become more effective 
perspective, Chris Vendome, a little bit of optimism from him saying that uh, maybe the resemblance of these new uh, leaders could actually be a way of them breaking away from the past by dealing with this corruption. Diwa Mavinga also asserting a sentiment that's been made by our guests, the fact that we still need to strengthen uh, these anti-corruption institutions in these various countries. We'll wrap it up after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunian Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa giving you the African story from the African's viewpoint. That is the African perspective. Let's get our final sentiments, gents. We only have three minutes left. I'm going to give you one minute each to get your final sentiments. What's the way forward, Elias? The way forward is that the the current president in Angola, it needs to find allies, allies uh, inside the political party because there are greater political risks, you know, given the the, the system that we have, because mm-hmm. they are not is not elected direct by the people. Sure, is elected through the party list. So he needs to find strong allies inside the party, outside the party. Work with the media, not arrest journalists who who report on corruption, and work with independent civil society organizations so that he has great support. You know. Not sure. just from inside, but from outside the party. Chris, I think in that way you'll be able to to move the agenda. Chris, a collaborative effort is what Elias is saying, working with civil society, media, and also creating po- political partnerships within parties. That's what uh, uh, Elias is saying about uh, uh, Angola. Your thoughts on the way forward? I think that um, as we, you know, the best way of viewing the situation in Southern Africa at the moment is that is going through a transition. At some point, these national liberation movements of government will um, lose power. You know, it may not be at the next election, it may not be at the one after, but over the course of the next uh, couple of decades, that will happen. And as the um, democratic pressures on these parties increases, I think it's about increasing the capability within the party for them to deal with corruption effectively. So empowering uh, those mechanisms inside the party to deal with these issues. I think that's going to be an important step going forward. Dewa, your thoughts? Well, I think what's important is to to build uh, and support or strengthen uh, institutions responsible for anti-corruption and let them do their work professionally and without interference. Um, also, for Zimbabwe, really, Mnangagwa should focus on delivering a credible, free and fair election, and thereafter, uh, whatever government emerges should have the responsibility of uh, dealing decisively with uh, anti-corruption issues in a non-partisan uh, sure. manner, without fear or favor.
Well, thank you, gents, for your time. Uh, fantastic views coming from all three of you. Uh, that's Chris Van Dome, who's uh, joining us from Chatham House. Chris, you're in London, aren't you, or am I wrong? Yeah, I'm in London today. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for giving us your time. And uh, we've got Elias Isaac, Country Director for Open Society Initiative Southern Africa. Where in Angola are you joining us, Elias? Luanda. Oh, Luanda, fantastic. And Diwa Mavinga, uh, I think he's in Pretoria, in Joburg. You are in Joburg, right, Diwa? Yes, Joburg, thank you. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, gents, for joining us from all over uh, the place. It's been an interesting conversation.